Hello and welcome to the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. I am your host, Ben Davison, and it is my very great pleasure to be with you on this Sunday, the 4th of September, 2022. What a massive, massive week for Australian politics and for workers in this country we have just had. Of course, when last we spoke with Van on the week on Wednesday, we were about to go into the Jobs Summit, and we spoke about three workers and their stories and hopes for what would come out of that particular summit. Now, the great news about the Jobs and Skills Summit is that there are some very tangible outcomes. Even in the lead up to it, of course, the ACTU Australian unions were putting out discussion papers, policies, ideas to get the brains flowing, to start the debate, to see where common ground could be found. And very pleasingly, the ACTU and the Australian Union movement was able to come to terms with a number, a number of business organisations on a range of issues including the Tech Council on Skills. Of course, the Tech Council interested in robotics, automation, the digital economy. This is an area where the union movement needs to be actively engaging as more and more people need these skills and will be participating in this part of the economy. Also, the Council of Small Business, COSBOA, as it's often called, stood alongside Sally McManus, leader of the trade union movement, and said that we needed simpler, more easily accessible multi-employer bargaining. A huge breakthrough, a huge outcome for the millions of Australian workers who have almost no access to collective bargaining because they are in a small business. And a huge outcome for the millions of small business owners who simply do not have the capacity to bargain or compete based on wages and quite frankly don't want to be on a downward race to the bottom on wages either. And of course, even the Business Council of Australia, who are not necessarily wholly on board with multi-employer bargaining, did agree with the ACTU that we need full employment, funded parental leave and a national energy transition authority. They also agreed that we needed to simplify bargaining. Now, of course, that will mean some changes to the way bargaining operates. There'll be lots of discussion over the next week. Tony Burke has already announced that there will be discussion between the department and key stakeholders, business and unions, starting basically tomorrow, well, Monday, if you're listening to this on Monday, today. So huge, huge steps in the right direction before the summit even started. And I want to point out Brendan O'Connor's interview on Insiders this morning, where he talked about the outcomes of the summit and talked about how it was not the end of the process, but really creating a framework for how government can now go forward, how there's a need to continue the conversation, not just in order to have what some critics are calling a talk fest, but to talk about how we implement things, to see how things are working, to change things that are not working, to ensure that we're constantly staying on top of the challenges that face us as a country. You know, and some people on the panel of Uh, for insiders today, made the point that while some people criticise summits as a talk fest, 
the last government refused to meet with people. Scott Morrison refused to meet with the Women's March protesters on the lawns of Parliament House. You know, we now have an opportunity to do things together. And it's one of the reasons why some of the outcomes of the Jobs and Skills Summit, I think, are a bit of a hidden gem. The word tripartite appears in the outcome document numerous times. I'm sure listeners of the week on Wednesday know tripartite means workers through their unions, uh, employers through their business peak bodies, and government coming together and working on solutions and developing and delivering programs together. This is a huge step forward. This is rebuilding social dialogue in this country. It's the sort of thing that happens in Norway, the Scandinavian countries, the Northern European countries, and even some of the Southern European countries. It fundamentally drives productivity. It means that you have better wage outcomes. It means that you have an economy that is not held hostage by a small cabal of CEOs, but an economy that works for working people. And I'm going to give you some examples of the things that have come out of the summit, because there's some huge outcomes here for working people. A billion dollars for an extra 180,000 fee-free TAFE positions. Jobs and Skills Australia will be a tripartite body. It will also have a role not only in how we shape our skills programs, but also in how we determine skill shortages and the use of either permanent or temporary migrant worker labour to fill those. A huge step, a huge step in the right direction. Gone are the days of a ministerial decree. Now we will have a proper system that is tripartite looking at those issues. There's $1.2 billion for the future made in Australia skills plan, 20,000 additional uni places, 10,000 new energy apprenticeships, and finally, a real discussion about how we get apprentice completion rates up. Less than half of the people who start an apprenticeship complete an apprenticeship. Brendan O'Connor made the point on Insiders today. Yes, there are things government can do to help make sure those numbers improve. But of course, employers have to do things too. And there is a role for unions here. We want apprentices to join their union. And many unions offer free or very low cost membership for apprentices. If you or someone you know is an apprentice, go to australianunions.org.au slash wow, get signed up, become a union member, because we know that apprentices do have a hard time. It's a big adjustment, and often they're very young. But the same goes for mature age apprentices too. We know wages for apprentices are too low in this country, and the discussion around how we improve those involves government, business, and unions. And Brennan O'Connor makes a good point. Business has to step up here. If you want to have skilled workers, then you've got to provide an opportunity for people to learn and give them hope that they'll have a job at the end of it. Huge mindset shift from our government. Of course, the big thing that many employers talked about leading into the summit was around migration. Now, permanent migration will increase to 195,000. But again, that issue of intersectional policy outcomes, 
in order to ensure we have the infrastructure to cope with that, there is over $30 million being put into visa processing and an additional $575 million put into additional affordable and social housing. This is to make sure that when permanent migrants come to Australia, they actually have somewhere to live and they're able to stay here permanently and build a life and contribute to our economy. The issue of temporary migrant workers has been hotly contested. We know that temporary migrant workers are more vulnerable and more often exploited. And of course, it makes sense if you think about it, that the conditions are ripe for exploitation. Someone whose visa is sponsored by their employer, someone whose wages are set by their employer, someone who is basically your only contact in a foreign country where you have no friends, no family, no infrastructure to support you. Lots of discussion around this at the summit. One of the things that will be looked at is an increase in the temporary migrant income threshold. This is the amount that you must pay someone as a minimum in order to bring them to Australia as a temporary migrant worker. As well as this, there will be an examination of what pathways can be put in place so the temporary migrants can become permanent migrants, and also establishing industry-sponsored visas rather than employer-sponsored visas so that a worker is not trapped in a situation where they can't speak up about health and safety, they can't speak up about wage underpayment, they can't speak up about mistreatment in the workplace for fear of losing their visa and being sent home early and also without the money that they had earned. Huge step forward. There'll also be, and this one strikes me as as such a breath of fresh air. Gone is the bad old days of the ABCC ideological cop on construction sites. Now we will have a tripartite national construction industry forum because workers, employers, and business leaders and government coming together to talk about how we make construction safer, how we make it more productive, how we make it a more attractive and longer-term career for working people is absolutely in the national interest, far more so than having government employees go around to building sites and issue fines for stickers and Eureka flags. Huge step change in the way we approach workplace relations. Staying on that theme, they're going to kill off zombie agreements. And this is real. It, you know, it's it, we have to remember that policy has long-term repercussions. Right now in Queensland, there is a zombie agreement that is ripping millions of dollars out of the pockets of thousands of hospitality workers that was struck under the era of John Howard. Some of the people who will be covered by that zombie agreement probably were not even born when John Howard became Prime Minister. They probably may not have even been born when John Howard uh, bought in work choices, the very youngest of them anyway. This is a absolute disgrace that these agreements are still around. Absolutely going to be killed off, good riddance, goodbye. They're going to fix the boot as well. We know the better off overall test has, over the course of its decade of existence, 
been subject to so many judicial, tribunal rulings that it has changed fundamentally from what it was designed to do, which is to make sure that workers are better off overall when they strike an agreement than they would be if they were simply under the award. This has resulted in some very strange and often perverse outcomes and has massively increased both the cost and the complexity of bargaining for all involved, including workers. So there is an agreement to look at how we improve the better off overall test to ensure workers stay better off overall, but so that not every single individual worker's individual circumstances in any given week on any given day have to be somehow built into the agreement. So that if a worker makes a decision that they're better off under certain circumstances, that that decision can be respected. Hugely important. And of course, one of the key things going into the summit that we talked about with the workers on the show on Wednesday that has been a hotly debated topic in the media is multi-employer bargaining. Enterprise bargaining will still be available. There will still be some enterprises and some workers who see enterprise bargaining as the right fit for them. But for many, many millions of workers who are in early childhood education, aged care, disability support, who are trying to bargain as one worker with a volunteer management committee. Enterprise bargaining does not work. We know this. The numbers are all out there. You can see it all. The graphs are there. We, we have record low unemployment, but we are experiencing wage cuts. Why? Because enterprise bargaining is no longer fit for purpose. It doesn't work in the same way that it was designed to work. And part of it is actually big corporations who are gaming the system. It's been really interesting to see this. And I'm going to talk about this now, that there are big, big companies, Alan Joyce at Qantas, Jerry Harvey from Harvey Norman, the CEO of West Farmers, who are all deeply opposed to multi-employer bargaining. Why? Because these companies have structured their arrangements in such a way as to break up the workforce, to diminish the power of workers, to drive down wages. Everybody knows about Qantas. Qantas has done this time and time and time again. There are so many agreements in Qantas for different sections of the workforce. All of them work for Qantas. All of them fundamentally are there to help make an airline run, but you have flight attendants have an agreement. International flight attendants have an agreement. The pilots have an agreement. Domestic pilots have an agreement. You've got cleaners having an agreement. You've got baggage handlers having an agreement. That's been outsourced to a separate company entirely. You have all of these so-called enterprise agreements that are just about dividing the workforce. So multi-employer bargaining is something that small business has said they want. The ability to say, as a group of small businesses, we want an agreement that allows us to have productivity, to have flexibility, to have fixed wage increases so that we know, so we can budget, so we can actually have a workforce that is engaged with us, that we're not constantly losing workers to being poached by somebody else who can strike an agreement so that we're not engaged in a race to the bottom 
where we have to simply cut labor costs all the time. And of course, there's some other really important things to come out of the summit too. A $4,000 work credit for pensioners. I know talking to local small business owners that they understand why some people who are on support payments wouldn't want to to lose those just for a short-term couple of hundred dollars if that's all the casual work that's going. Having a proper facilitation that allows people back into the workforce and not lose that support that they need and have to start again with Centrelink is absolutely crucial. And putting employment support into the NDIS, hugely important for any Australian with a disability that wants to work, should be able to work. And there is a responsibility on government to help facilitate that to happen. There'll also, of course, be this tripartite body, this agreement for an orderly transition to the net zero economy. That's a huge outcome, a huge and important outcome, because it means that we're not going to allow boardrooms in Paris or New York or London to determine the fate of our communities when they shut down power stations and put nothing in place to help the workers. We're going to have a proper authority. There's going to be proper transition. It's going to be orderly, and people are actually going to have a say in the outcome for their community. And of course, lots of discussion around early childhood reform. This has been given now to the National Cabinet to develop an early childhood reform program. Hugely important if we want to facilitate more women and unlock that $111 billion of economic opportunity for our country and for our communities, we have to get this right. We have to pay early childhood workers what they're worth, which is far more than they're paid now. We have to ensure that there's access and availability for for everyone who needs it, get rid of the childcare and early childhood deserts that exist in some parts of our country and make sure that we're training and educating people properly. These are huge outcomes. The summit in two days achieved more than the Morrison government did in nearly a decade. And of course, now there'll be a lot of rubber hitting the road between today and the budget that's going to be handed down in October. And what's really interesting in my mind is not just that there is actually been some ability to build consensus and build uh, areas of agreed reform, but also that there remains there remains an ideological bulwark that just wants to smash workers. <laughs> You know, you would think that after all of these conversations, you would think that after Australian unions had reached out to all these business groups and that the government, the Labor government had invited the Liberal Party to send its leader to the summit, that there might be some, some attempt to work collaboratively, cooperatively in the interests of the nation. But no, Peter Dutton and the Liberal Party have chosen the path of negativity. Peter Dutton put out an ad, an attack ad, against one of the summit participants, deliberately focusing on and targeting one of the summit participants, has repeatedly tried to scaremonger people about the idea of multi-employer bargaining. He has 
absolutely turned up the volume. He's had Susan Lay call the summit participants union thugs. Michaela Cash didn't attend the summit, but she attended fringe events of the summit in order to decry the summit and in order to attack moves to improve wages through multi-employer bargaining. They have ratcheted up the rhetoric. They offer no alternative approach. There's nothing from the Liberal Party that will raise wages. There's no acknowledgement that under their watch for a decade, yes, we had lowering unemployment, but we had increased job insecurity and we had wage cuts. They take no responsibility for that. Dutton is out there slamming workers, slamming the summit. David Littleproud from the Nationals, his coalition partner, actually participated. And they made this point on Insiders. He was there, rolled up his sleeves, got involved, talked about the improvements for agriculture. There were announcements about agriculture as well, I should say, about how we can improve agricultural skills, what we can do to ensure there's less exploitation of temporary migrant workers in the ag sector. These were all positive things. David Littleproud and the Nationals actually were prepared to make a positive contribution. But the Liberals simply will not get out of their ideological blinkers. One Liberal MP said, if Sally McManus is for it, then we're against it. So crass. This idea that they can't work with unions. Someone needs to remind Peter Dutton that even Robert Menzies, in his second time as Prime Minister, acknowledged that unions had a role to play. And in fact, at one point, he campaigned on supporting unions. So perhaps Peter Dutton needs to spend less time with Alan Joyce and Jerry Harvey and the CEO of Wes Farmers and Justin Hems from Merivale, who, by the way, has said that we need to take all restrictions off migration and simply have as many workers as we can bring in on any conditions that we can get them. Of course, you would expect him to say that, given that his company underpaid workers to the tune of $144 million. And what's really interesting here is that while Peter Dutton and Michaelia Cash and Susan Lay like to pretend that their concern is for small business, it's actually all about big business. Small business wants multi-employer bargaining. Big business are the ones who've structured their arrangements to maximise their advantage from enterprise bargaining. They're the ones who are concerned. Steve Knott from the mining industry called small business weak links. The CEO of Aki in Western Australia accused them of betrayal. These people have an ideological commitment an ideological commitment to low wages, to workers not being at the table. And you know what, Peter? Peter Dutton, you chose not to be at the table. You chose not to participate in the conversation. Now, you will undoubtedly continue to oppose what Labor is trying to do, but do not think for a second that we can't see through your nonsense, your garbage, your lies, and your rhetoric, because it's not small business that you're concerned for. It's big business. Big business is squeezing small business every single day. And when we have record low unemployment, the idea that somehow or another 
our economic system is delivering pay cuts is all about, all about power, who has it, who doesn't, and where it resides. Peter Dutton wants the system to stay the same. He wants power to reside in the hands of people like Alan Joyce and Jerry Harvey. You know, Jerry Harvey complains that he can't find workers, and that's why his company's suffering. Yet at the same time, JB Hi-Fi, a direct competitor of Harvey Norman, is having record sales and very nice profits, thank you very much, because they have a different approach. It's easy for business leaders, so-called leaders, to blame workers, to blame the settings, to blame policy. But the reality is they're the ones who are failing. And what they want is systemic advantages. What they want is policy settings that give them a leg up over small business, that give them power over workers, that allow them to extract wages from workers' pockets and put them into their own as bonuses and profits. And that's what Peter Dutton is standing for. That's Peter Dutton's position, that Alan Joyce and Jerry Harvey should be allowed to continue to do that, that that should be the system that we have. While the rest of the country is having a summit, while all of these people came together and said, the system needs to change. Here are some practical ways we can do that. Here is a body of work we can do over the next few weeks and months to change the system so that while we have low unemployment, we actually have wage growth so that the benefits of our productivity are more equally shared so that people are able to participate in our economy if they have a disability or if they have caring responsibilities. Peter Dutton chose to spend the week attacking personally attacking participants in that summit and simply screaming his ideological rhetoric on Sky News at every given opportunity. Well, here we are. Parliament will sit this week. The process of making the summit outcomes into laws will begin and Peter Dutton will continue to be an irrelevant ideological dinosaur and I couldn't be happier about that now Van and I are going to do a week on Wednesday live at Melbourne Fringe and links are in the social media you can google it as well Melbourne Fringe the week on Wednesday live it's going to be so great it's in October Check it out. Of course, Van and I will do the week on Wednesday together uh, this week. Don't forget to check that out. And a huge thank you to all of our supporters. We've sent out some videos to our supporters uh, just in the last couple of days. There'll be another video for our Cadre supporters this week as well. So if you want to be a supporter, you want to get emails, you want to get links, you want to see the videos, you want to kind of get a bit of a sense of what it's like to be backstage with Van and Ben, check it out. www.buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday and you'll get all the information you need there. Now, until Wednesday, remember, be kind to yourself and to each other.